whenever somebody's joining me, it's like, I'm not going to bring somebody into my vision if their vision cannot fit within it. Mm -hmm. But if I'm keeping them in the company because I'm afraid to tell them I made a mistake and your vision does not fit within this one here, that's on me as well. And I'm doing them a disservice keeping them in the company because I'm preventing them from going to a company that will be able to do that for them. How do you create an unshakable business? I crossed $100 million in net worth by the age of 28. Now I'm growing acquisition.com into a billion dollar portfolio. In this podcast, I share the lessons I've learned in scaling big businesses and helping our portfolio companies do the same. Buckle up and let's build. Your quote here is that you sent me a text. It's, we have not worked this hard in five years. And so... Can you walk me through what's going on right now with all the stuff? And then we're going to jump into all the business. Yeah. When I say worked hard too, I think it's like relative. I think that the time that I'm dedicating to work right now in terms of hours is not like the same time I've put in in a very long time because I've had usually a team that's adequate and like I've built a team up for the challenge. So like in the beginning of gym launch, it was basically like wake up work until you have to do something, right? Like eat or whatever, would work out. I would literally take calls while I was working out the whole time and then have dinner, work until I can't keep my eyes open. Mm -hmm. And I think this schedule recently has been more reflective of that in terms of like, um, you know, I actually haven't lifted in like four months. That's what Alex just told me. Wait, four yeah. months? He said four weeks. He said four months. I'm four months. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. I've I get it. only been walking because I can take calls while I walk uh-huh. and then, you know, break for dinner. But then we go back and we work after. Yeah. And it's been because a few things happen at once, which is like the book launch, just like orders of magnitude larger than what I was told as the expectation. <laughs> and honestly, there's just like we're, we're a por- company portfolio like we're not like a business with like a lot of project managers yeah. or anything like that. Like we have people that work on our portfolio companies. They're not working on a book. Yeah. And then we have our media team, but they already are cranking on like both of our accounts. And so I decided to jump in after talking to a few of the teammates to lead the book project. And then on top of that, our CFO uh, retired mm-hmm. and she let me know ahead of time. And unfortunately, the first replacement didn't work out. And so there's like a two something month gap between before my next one comes on. Hmm. And so I've been CFO where we are buying a building, uh, bought three companies, and I'm doing all the financial and legal diligence, which I've never done any of those things before, like led that section of it. So it's just been like a steep learning curve. So I think things take much longer than they would somebody who's an expert because I'm not an expert in that stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's coming out in your tweets a little bit too. It's like, hey, like sometimes it's a lot, right? And like what's going through your head? Like it sounds like a lot to manage. It is a lot to manage. It is a lot to manage. And I think the thing that I like about it now is like I will be stressed, but I'm not stressed about my stress, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like I used to be stressed about how stressed I was. And I see that in our portfolio CEOs is like they're like, like I have racing thoughts and like I'm up at night thinking about this and I wake up at 4 a.m. and I can't stop thinking about it. I'm like, that's normal. That's because you care. And I think now I can go through these times and be okay with it and be like, I'm going to be stressed and that's okay. This is temporary and will pass. It always does. And I think that's been cool to see has been like the difference of how I can handle it Um, in terms of prior. I think that I would have been a lot more, I would have escalated my practical problems into emotional disturbances, Mm -hmm. meaning like practical problem. We don't have a CFO and I am being CFO. Um, That sucks and it's stressful. But when you 
compound that with worrying about it more and stressing about it more, it turns into like a true emotional disturbance where like you have high anxiety all the time and like now you're having to manage your extra stress and like all of that, which has been cool to see the difference that I'm not doing that anymore, but it's also been still challenging nonetheless. Yeah. I want to focus this talk a lot about talent acquisition, culture, operations, which to me sounds like your jam. I I think it is your jam. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. (laughs) And so like the CFO that you hired, it sounds like you moved on pretty quickly. Like, I think people should know this. It's like when you know, you know, and you should move. And so how did you train that muscle? What happened exactly? Or you can't share everything, but high level. It's interesting you ask because like a lot of people always want to know like what are the interview questions that you ask yeah. and what are the – and I'm like the thing is is like I think what people don't understand is that what I've picked up along the way is just simply pattern recognition through volume. Mm-hmm. It's like people that tend to answer questions like this tend to not work out if I hire them. People that tend to answer questions like this – do tend to work out when I hire them. And so one thing I talk about a lot is that it's a lot more about the responses than it is the questions. I honestly sometimes don't ask one interview question that I tell people to ask. I am just going with what I'm seeing and I'm asking questions based on the feedback I'm getting from that person and the vibe I'm getting from them. And when I say vibe, it's probably like the associations that I'm getting from that person based on past experiences of people that have similar associations. Right. So I think a lot of it is pattern recognition. That's why I encourage people so much. I'm like, Dude, take 20 interviews for a position because what is so invaluable is the pattern recognition that you gain of what good looks like and what bad looks like versus a lot of people just like want to minimize the time. They say they don't have time to hire. They don't have time. I'm like, well, you're just going to end up having to get rid of that person or get somebody different anyways if you don't. And so I think that the key has been I have never backed down in terms of like I should be taking less interviews. I don't want to interview that many people. I don't want to do that. I don't have time for that. Um you know, I studied a lot of the best CEOs and I felt like all of them, until you get to a, a reasonable sized company, like even a lot of them up to a thousand, they still mm-hmm. do interviews. <clears throat> and so I felt like that's a key piece of my job is making sure that we have the right people on the team. Yep. And I think that the best way that you can become good at that job is by doing more of it, just like sales. Yeah. Totally. And here's the thing. You, you When it comes to hiring, like you want to give your people team a process to follow, right? But if you know, like you're going to jump around and you're going to look for the pattern recognition. And sometimes it drives my people team crazy. Like I'll step in on the interviews and like, oh, Eric, you're not asking questions for the process. Of course I'm not because I understand the different dynamics. It sounds like you're doing the same thing. So I think people should understand that if you're a founder and you have an eye for talent, you don't need to follow that playbook. The playbook is for your team to follow, right? Yeah. And I would say also in terms of like the playbook for the team versus what I'm doing, I think It also depends on the company and the role. So like somebody who has a sales organization where you're churning people in and out because it's just like the nature of the job is people burn out pretty quickly, Mm -hmm. uh, at least in most. I think you can prevent that, but that's another time. Um, And so you're hiring people all the time and it's for a very low risk role where people don't intend to stay for a long time and you don't intend for them to either. It's like Mm -hmm. a few stay for a long time in those kind of companies. In that kind of company, would I interview every sales rep? The answer is no, I probably would not. Um, but what I, in the company that I have in acquisition.com, we only have like 25 people on the team. Like, why would I not want to interview totally. the people that are coming on the team? And they're yeah. for roles that I actually expect people to stay for a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. And so I think that in that case, it does make a lot of sense. Um, like in gym launch, for example, I interviewed all the roles except for the two that were the highest churn where it was like, they were only going to be there for maybe a year. And we knew that. And they knew that. Yeah. Dude, there's, um, 
you just gave the example earlier. There's there are companies that will like the CEO will be involved or the founders will be involved until the first thousand. DoorDash, yeah. I think, was involved for the first two thousand. I think there's this like U.S. general that was involved for the first ten thousand. Like this is some, some story I heard. Yeah, yeah. And then I think Bill Gates or or Bezos were really involved like deeply all the time, right? Yeah. So it's like I don't. Again, like it's like if it's the highest leverage thing you can do in a company, like you can't you can't ever really abdicate it, right? No, and I think. I look at it like an acquisition.com, like my two best, highest leverage positions to be in are determining who who comes on the bus, right? Like who gets a seat on the bus and where do they sit in terms of the team? And then who gets a spot in the portfolio? Mm -hmm. Because my eye for talent is the same eye I have for, I think, company talent, which is like, is this CEO going to cut it or not? Yep. And so I try to like make sure that I do dedicate my time to both of those things because I think that also... The more that you do it, the more efficient you get at it. It doesn't take long. Like why Combinator, they they do an interview and they say they all have said the same thing. They're like, we know in the first 20 seconds if this person, if we're going to bring them into Y Combinator mm -hmm. or not. And I start to feel that way. I'm like, I don't need an hour. I need like 10 minutes max, yeah. Yeah. you know, and I, but I feel like, you know, I feel like a dick. So I'm yeah. like, yeah. yeah, sure. 30 minutes. But I'm like, I already know in the first five. Yeah. Dude, so you actually stick it out for the 30. So I know if I want to hire somebody in the first couple of minutes, totally. almost always. Yeah. Yeah. What it is, is that I actually want to use the time to set expectations for them. Mm -hmm. I want to reiterate to them, what does our company do? What do you do? What problem do you solve? Mm -hmm. In what way would you blow my mind? Yeah. What am I going to do for you yeah. when you work here? Yeah. What is my commitment to you as being somebody who comes to acquisition.com? And so I just want to like lay the groundwork for the relationship more than anything yeah. if I think that they're the right fit. Right. And you just said, you know, in the first five to 10 minutes, there's this just innate gut feeling that's really hard to quantify. How do you think you you quantify that? Because it's hard for people to duplicate. I think it's gut feeling for sure, which is pattern recognition mixed with, I think, very long and hard about what somebody with the skills and character looks like for the role. Like to a point where when I interviewed Caleb, Ralston for director of brand, I literally pictured somebody huge, tattooed, like really <laughs> like, like got a like super hard vibe, but like super soft and mm. sweet. Mm. And then when I, immediately when we got in the interview, I told Alex, I said, I feel like this is like a dream because in the first two seconds, I was like, he's at, we have to hire him. Yep. And he was like, why? And I was like, this is for some reason, exactly what I pictured. This person with these traits and this character would be like, and it's not like I ever have like one exact prototype in mind prototype like character kind of is a trait. prototype yeah but a prototype yeah. persona yeah. yeah um but i have like a few that i know that it could look like that could work and then i'm looking for that match and so i think you can just tell the way someone presents themselves the way they're talking the way they ask and answer questions in the first couple of minutes are they going to fit one of those personas or not yeah and if it's not it's not like i'm going to throw it out you know what i mean because i've been wrong but mm -hmm. i think that i definitely uh, it's been a hard turnaround from that point because I've seen people where I've said like, hey, maybe they're just, maybe I'm wrong. And then I've also seen that not work out more times than it has. There's a Laylaism that Alex just gave me. Huh? And um, so so the heuristic I used to use was, oh, Larry Page during the interview, um, he would he would just get, he's like, okay, Layla, teach me. Like, what's something you're passionate about? Okay, teach me for five minutes. Just so he can get something out of that interview, right? So he's not bored the whole time. Yeah. But yours is even better where it's like, like, if the candidate can't teach you something better than the role that they're being interviewed for, like, then you shouldn't hire them. Yes, in almost all instances. Yeah. Now, there are some roles where you 
bring someone who has the character and then you train them up on the like sales or like you know customer service or something like that right mm-hmm. where it's like you know you're gonna be trained them but most of the time when people are asking about hiring it is for roles where like that person is taking over a function where the the person hiring them doesn't know how to do it and i think in those instances i look for did i learn something from that interview right was i excited after that interview did i feel motivated did i feel excited to talk to them again like i learned something i had a perspective shift um and especially if i'm hiring a leader did they challenge something i said and not challenge in a way of like did they try to prove me wrong but did they provide an alternative perspective right. that was contradictory to mine that i also think could be right eventually you have to learn to cut bait quickly and i think you guys my sense is you guys have mastered that right so i'm trying to get a sense for or yeah get a framework for the audience here because you got to like you know pretty quickly when it's also not a fit yeah like yeah. when they come in already you mean yeah like basically in the first week yeah right? so you miss hire yeah mhm yeah um I have this frame, which is it is completely my fault because either I don't have the skill of picking the right person for that role or I misunderstood what I was looking for for the role and so I hired the wrong person. That's on me. It's also on me to write the situation. And I think that a lot of founders and CEOs, what they basically do is say like, I'm going to try and make it work. I feel bad. This person like, because they did, they freaking quit their, like, Think of all the people yeah. are listening to us that are founders. You quit your job. Remember how hard that was? They quit their job to work yeah. for you. That is equally as you hard. You changed their life. Yes, yeah. that is a huge life change. And yeah. so I don't take it lightly, but I also would feel awful keeping somebody in a company knowing that there was no career path for them. There was no opportunity for them and that I could not hold up my end of the bargain of this is the opportunity that you get working here. Because whenever somebody's joining me, it's like, I'm not going to bring somebody into my vision if their vision cannot fit within it. Mm -hmm. But if I'm keeping them in the company because I'm afraid to tell them I made a mistake and your vision does not fit within this one here, that's on me as well. And I'm doing them a disservice keeping them in the company because I'm preventing them from going to a company that will be able to do that for them. Right. And I don't think most founders, early founders especially, are able to take that full responsibility when at the end of the day, it is you making all the decisions. Yeah. I think that it's like, I'll be really honest. Like I just really, and I don't even like know how it's like biggest secret in the world. Like actually care about people. Like I would feel awful if I were like, for instance, if I were in a relationship when I was younger and I knew that this person I didn't want to be in one with, I couldn't stay another day with them because Mm -hmm. I felt like that's not right for them, Mm -hmm. for me to be in this relationship. I feel the same way with people on the team. It's like, if I know that there's not a path for them here yep. and this isn't the best fit for them, then I feel awful and yep. I don't I don't want to prevent them from going on to somewhere some going somewhere where they do have that. Yeah. I just try to do everything in my absolute power to make it as easy as possible for them to find that. So I have a big network. So what I've done in the past is I reach out to people and I say, This is somebody that I hired. Here's why they're not a fit. Here's why I think that they might be a fit for your company if you're looking for something similar. Yep. And I've tried to set up interviews with them. It's worked out more than it hasn't. Yeah. Um, and obviously it sucks getting fired, but at least you can make it easy for them if you have a place that you can transition them, you know, rather than just like putting them out to the cold. A, I think that's really nice that you do that. B, we do something similar and it does work most of the time, but then sometimes it backfires where we had a situation where someone deleted our email list, deleted our Instagram, uh, went and wrote separate Glassdoor reviews, right? It was just like a like cyber cyber terrorism let's just call it that right and sometimes it comes back to bite bite you right um 
But I think for the most part, we call it the mindful transition. And this is my transition into what happens from an operating perspective when you have situations like that. Because at lunch, I was talking to my friend who has a pet holding company. And literally, they had someone, they fired someone, they came back in, logged back in, and started like trying to save a bunch of files or forwarding information, right? And they're going after them. Yeah. And this inevitably, if you're running a business, this will happen to you. Like, there's going to be moments like this. How have you dealt with them? Because I feel like you deal with situations with such grace. So, oh, yeah, that's good. It's just years of trial and error. Yeah. Um, well, in those situations, one thing is that while I'm always having that conversation with somebody, the tech person is going behind the scenes and deleting everything. Yeah. So it's like I don't take chances there because my job is to protect the company. And I have seen enough people who seem really level headed yeah. do some weird stuff after. So I always remove access before the, the conversation's even done. Um, how do you handle those situations? I think that what a lot of people do, and I actually have a friend that I was just talking to is dealing with a situation similar that somebody really like did something shady, right? Mm -hmm. They're typically doing that because they feel wronged by the company. Totally. Sometimes that's fair. Mm -hmm. It was crappy. You mishired them. You probably led them on. And then you probably had a pretty terrible conversation on the way out because a lot of people aren't really great at those conversations and they don't practice them. Mm -hmm. And so- it would make sense that somebody would act like a complete asshole on the way out. Like, I think that that's like warranted. And I think there should be a lot to look at in terms of like, if you're a founder and that happens to you, what do you have to learn? How could you have handled it better to mitigate that kind of behavior? Because I think when I was, you know, six years ago, seven years ago, when I was inexperienced and in running the company, that happened way more frequently. Right. Because I thought that I was doing my absolute best, but I was not doing what was required. You know, it was a stretch for me, but it still wasn't good enough to have people gracefully leave the company. Got it. At the same time, there are instances where I do absolutely everything. I feel like beyond what could be done and it still happens. And in those situations, all I'm thinking about is what are my actions telling the rest of the team? That is all I think through is like, how can I use this as an opportunity to reinforce our values and reinforce who I am as a leader? And I have had instances, and not not so far in the past, where I have had to let people go. And really, it's just like I've only had to let go of two people in this company. And it might have been misunderstood. And then they may have done something really crappy after. And I was angry that they did something really crappy after. People knew about it. It was kind of embarrassing. But I was like, okay, what does it say about me to then retaliate? Because what happens when one person does something and the next, it's just, it escalates retaliation. You just keep going. Right. I just opt out. Yeah. I'm like, I will do nothing. I will protect the company. I will w- do whatever's in the best interest of the company. I will not retaliate at them. They are angry. They are emotional. I understand that. I'm going to give them grace and I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to protect the company. Yep. I rarely try to do anything to make them feel bad. I know that they're probably humiliated and people do weird stuff when they're humiliated. Mm-hmm. They probably worried because sometimes they can't pay for their family. They might have a new baby. Like there's so many circumstances yep. that it's like, if you understand those circumstances, you're like, would I do that? No. But do I understand why they may have thought that that was the right thing to do or something to do? Yeah. And so I'm just constantly thinking of how I can teach my team through my actions, how we behave. And so sincere candor, unimpeachable character, does that look like a founder who, you know, fights back or publicly disgraces or, you know, tries to make someone's life worse? No. Yeah. Look, my stance, and I, I totally agree with you, my, my stance is it's not worth going after them. And, you know, you're going to spend, you know, could be 50, 100 plus thousand dollars on 
legal fees, right? And then the the headspace it takes, it's just like, no, like to your point, focus on the company, right? Well, and here's the thing. Do we want to make them feel bad so that hopefully we feel better, which doesn't work? Or do we want them to learn from their mistake? Like seldom is it that when you fight with somebody, they learn from you fighting with them. I would rather let them be. And then like eventually when they're ready, they'll probably say something and then they'll have learned from their mistake. Right. You know what I mean? And I think that you treating them with grace teaches them more than you fighting back. Yeah. Look, I, I think it's you can only do what you think is right. And so this situation, the mindful transition is, look, well, we might give you two, three months and we'll help you find something else. And like, we'll be a good, good reference for you. And if something bad happens, it happens. Right. So yeah. that's what I've learned from it. Um, So I want to kind of jump around here, but mm-hmm. I've noticed with your recent content, you switched from the kind of at the camera talking, right, teaching yeah. to the AMA. So t- tell me kind of the psychology here. There's no psychology. What's, there what, was What happened? <laughs> um, it was literally just like one week. I was, I think I was at the gym and I was texting Alex because it was like, it was actually during the time that I, uh, I let go of somebody on the team and I had to step back in and mitigate a ton of stuff because um, they had a very big role that they were filling and they were my direct report. And... I also had a film session coming up where usually the prep takes me like, you know, 10 or 15 hours to do yep. because I'm also not an expert. So it takes me longer than it would take some people. The prep <laughs> session for? Content. Like okay, got it, got multiple it, got it, got it. YouTube videos, usually like five Good to crap, six. 15 hours? If I'm writing five or six YouTube videos plus 50 or 60 shorts. Yeah. Okay. It's for the entire. Yeah. That's yeah, a lot. That's you know what I mean? And, yeah. I, and I'm not an expert at it. So it takes me longer because mm. I'm like, oh, this is sh-. Do mm. it again. Mm. <laughs> Still sh-. Alex, help. No. Yep. That was happening. And I was just like. And then I was like, dude, why, why did we hire a content team? And then I was like, okay, actually, if I reverse back, Alex was making content. He had a lot of vendors he was using to do it. I stepped in and was like, I'm going to start making content. And I started working with those vendors. And I was like, oh my God, how do you do this? I'm losing my mind. I cannot, there's like all these like project management that I'm doing for these, like, this does not make sense. Yep. And then I was like, and it feels like their incentives are not aligned with mine. Like they want me to get views, but I want to build a brand. Right. Um. And what's the difference in your mind there? I think that people will sacrifice their reputation in the short term to get views. And then long term, they are harming the building of a brand or at least building the wrong brand, not the one they want. Uh, And I think that a lot of people think they want views because they don't understand what brand is. And I think brand is playing the long game, which is being okay with getting less views in the short term, knowing that you will outlast everybody else because you will have the brand you want in the long term. Does that make sense? Yep. Makes total sense. So, okay, now you switch to this AMA format. How is that going for you? Where do you see it going? Because here's the thing. I was talking to Alex about this. Yeah. There's, you know, with investing, there's your circle of confidence, right? But there's also your circle of confidence when it comes to the content format too. And the AMAs, I think, do lend, like, this is kind of an AMA in itself. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like it's more natural. Like, this is actually what I like. And I think about the content I like to create, right? Yeah. Yeah. I... I don't like direct to camera. And I told the team, actually, it was about a week and a half ago. I said, I don't want to do any more. Yeah. I want to do a few things. And I said, one is the vlog, vlog all day, because I feel like the thing is like direct to camera. It's like, I feel like my personality is not there. I'm just, I yeah, seem like this you're intense, lecturing like, and nobody likes being lectured. To. I'm talking like this intense. Yeah, and I just yeah, like, yeah. don't like how that comes yeah, off. You same know what here, I mean? Same here. I'm intense too. Super yeah, yeah. intense. I know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, vlog, I'm like, I love it because they can see like, what I'm actually like, which is like, I'm actually really goofy, yep. but I'm not comfortable enough to do that in a direct camera setting or even like in this set, I'm not going to be like, 
super, you know what I mean? But yeah. it's like when they catch me in the day to day and with yeah. the team, I am that way. Yeah. And I want people to see that because I think that is actually the Layla that has created the team and mm. built the culture, not the Layla they see. That's the real camera. Layla. That's the real Layla that yeah. the team knows. Yeah. You know, like making faces silly, shows up dressed like Alex randomly to make people laugh, like <laughs> do whatever it is to like yeah. get the team spirits up. Like that's who I am. And so yeah. I want people to see that because I think it's important for them to know what leadership can look like and that it's not authoritative because yep. um, I'm not like that with the team. And yep. so I feel like that's a better way for me to teach and I enjoy it more and it takes less time. So I feel like there's only been benefit to it. It takes much longer to edit. Yep. So yep. the well, team has to job. grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that's, that's why it's tough. Like not everyone can do it because you have to have, a, we have a large team and it's expanding. Um, In terms of besides that, I want to do case studies. So case studies of our companies. So I have started to pick a few that I'm going to do like video breakdowns of. Mm -hmm. And when I say case study, I don't even mean tactical breakdowns. I mean, like, I want to tell the story of why this business is successful mm -hmm. and why these founders are successful. And this is like a portfolio company. Yes. Got it. And so I have one that we're working on right now, and I'm really excited about it because I want it to be like a really good first one. Yeah. Um, I just, I really am passionate about showcasing founders with the character that it takes to yep. win even more than the businesses because i'm like the business isn't the reason they're succeeding it's who they are the skills they have the character they have the reason that they have that we're able to attract the talent which can make you know the business work and like there's all these things and so i want to be able to tell the stories of those founders and so that's the second piece of content that i really want to do and that we're we're working on adding in right now and then still doing teaching but we're trying different formats. So basically trying like ask me anything type formats mm -hmm. with themes geared towards it. Um, and hopefully when we get this office, then we'll also be able to kind of expand that. I would like to do a call-in show yep. where it can be like themed call-in shows, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. I, I still want to integrate the frameworks in somewhere because I use those a lot in like teaching our portfolio CEOs and yep. such. I just don't know what format that is going to take place. Well, dude, I mean, you guys are going to have this big ass office. It's like, I just now I'm just riffing. It's like, People know who you are. You can literally have people come in like once a week or once a month or whatever. And it's like a live AMA type of thing. I don't know. I would like to do that yeah. because I think that's what I do best. Like, yeah. But I also, I respect like my best work is all done in private and will never be seen on a blog. Mm -hmm. It's one-on-ones with my team and it's one-on-ones with the portfolio CEOs. Yep. And I cannot talk about it. Yeah. That's and a I tough cannot, thing. It's tough, dude. Yeah. It's tough. It's my best content. Yeah. And like the team has seen some of it and they've been like, holy and we can't yeah. ever show anyone. Yeah. And I would never do that. And I don't want to. And I don't want people to be uncomfortable. Yeah. But I want to be able to build like some kind of format with like a podcast or whatever in our yeah. studio where I can showcase that. Yeah. I mean, that's that is the toughest thing. It's I, I think at some point someone will get to the level where they're filming all their work because yeah. it's 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 the real shit. Um, and how long did it take for you to realize that it was time to switch content formats? The reason I'm asking this is because people just kind of they see what's out there and it's like yeah. oh let's just imitate what other people are doing and they keep doing it for years and years and they give up and it never worked so. i think i i called caleb and i said i don't like my own content and i don't care what we have to do or what it looks like i just want to like the content i put out and i was like i i i like when you see my personality i like where you see me doing things live with the team. I like yep. when you can see more in the day. And I like when I'm completely honest and transparent and it's not like a pre-scripted pre production. Like I want people to see the real stuff because mm -hmm. what I want and have always wanted from people that I want to learn from is that. 
Yeah. And so I'm like, I want to put out that because that's what I've always wanted. And I think he had the same vision because he, from day one, was like, if people could just know you like I know you, then your content will blow up. Yeah. And I was like, maybe that's a consequence of it. But it takes time because it takes time to get comfortable on camera and stuff. But yeah. more than anything, I feel like if people would just listen to themselves of like, what what content do I want to consume? And how can I create that? I feel like that would just be such a simpler way. Here's the thing. I don't watch anybody's content. People I follow, I'm they're muted. I do not. I don't watch anyone's content, not on Instagram, not on YouTube, like barely anything. Podcasts, nothing. I consume nothing right now. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Books yep. like, from very long time ago. Like that's it. And so... I don't even know what's working right now. People are like, oh, I see you got on this. I'm like, I have no fucking shit. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And I actually feel like that's an advantage because I'm like, whatever. It's working for me right now. Yeah. Because I'm not looking at what other people are doing. I'm, I've never once copied a video. I've never looked at a video and be like, I'll make my own version. Not one time. And so I think I would just like more of that. Yeah. I like how it, it for both of you, it's like, we're just going to do what works for us and like, it is what it is, right? You guys can do it your way. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna do my relationship this way. I'm gonna do my business this way. I'm gonna do my content this way. And you're, the 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 story that you just shared it remind, reminds me of this recent artist. They um they raised a bunch of money from like Pharrell and all these like you know VCs yeah. and all that. But like main point is, I talked to him. He's like, I was like, so like, where do you get your inspiration from? He's like, I don't look at any other art because it's gonna f- my creative, just how creatively I think, right? And that's yeah. kind of what you're saying right here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like. Even when I see like somebody copy my content, I don't get angry, but I just am like, damn, like you're losing. Yep. You know what I mean? Because like you can't ever make it better than the original. Yep. And it's not authentic to you. Yep. It's not what you actually think or or feel. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Well, I just don't want to do that. At least people are copying you. That's amazing. That's All good. Right.